Hold on, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just happy because I've never felt more sorry for someone trying so hard to light a candle as I did Bob last year. I don't know if y'all remember that. He worked and worked for like two and a half songs, I think. That thing never would light. So I'm glad that we got off to a better start with that this year. Um, King of Hope is where we are today, Matthew 2, 1 through 6, and Hebrews 6, 18 through 20. We'll spend a little time in both places. Uh, for those that don't know, Advent, it just comes from the Latin word Adventus. It means uh, an expectation of coming is what the word means. So it's obviously the season, uh, the, 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 it's the first Sunday after Thanksgiving leading up to Christmas. It's the season of preparing for Jesus' coming, his first coming. And, and it's just a time of celebration. We set this time every, aside every year to try to really make this time of year special. Uh, it's already special on its own, but we try to make it a little more special. So this year, our Advent theme is the King. The king. So we're going to look at the king of hope, the king of peace, the king of joy, the king of love. Christmas Eve, we'll look at the king with us. Christmas Eve service at 6 p.m. And then Christmas Day, which falls on a Sunday this year, uh, we'll look at the king of kings. That day on Christmas Day, we will dismiss Sunday school. We will have a service, one service at 1030 Christmas Day. One service at 1030 um, without any Sunday school that day. So anyway, that's where we'll be for the next several weeks. And uh, today we're looking at the king of hope. So we're going to get right into it and not waste any time with me yapping. So the first verse of Matthew says this right here. The very first verse. The historical record of Jesus Christ or the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right off the bat, Matthew tells you what he's fixing to do. He starts with these words and he is saying, this Jesus is the king. That's what he's saying when he says he's the son of David. Now, he, he, he right off the bat says this guy is going to be the fulfillment of the prophecy of David, the Davidic covenant, and the fulfillment of the son of, the, of, the son of Abraham, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Today, we're looking more specifically at this Davidic covenant. And then he goes in verse 6 to make sure you didn't miss it. In verse 6, he says, and Jesse fathered King David. He's making very sure very quickly, right off the bat, you know where he is headed in this letter, in this gospel. So uh, if you go to 2 Samuel, you don't have to, it's on the screen. In 2 Samuel it is where we get the Davidic covenant. This is when God spoke through the prophet Nathan to David. He says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, talking to David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. This prophecy was immediately fulfilled in his son Solomon, but it was and has been and always was a messianic prophecy as well. Uh, it was fulfilled in the immediacy with his son, but everyone knew that it was going to continue to be established later. Uh, so this, this is the Davidic covenant, and that's what Matthew is saying right off the bat. This is going to be uh, fulfilled in Jesus. See, from this, from this moment on, and especially after the kingdom split, the kingdom of Israel split into two different kingdoms just two generations later from David. Uh, there was always a hope of this reestablishing of the Davidic king to establish the kingdom of God. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies looking towards this future hope of God's true king, his anointed one, his Messiah. Hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament looking forward to this. And that leads us to our first scripture for today in Matthew 2. So if you're there with me, we're going to read through the first six verses. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, 
wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people, Israel. There you go. Jesus has barely been alive for any time whatsoever, and he's already been called the king. Jesus was the king from the get-go. That was what was expected. That's what the Messiah was expected to be. The, the king is here. This is just one of the hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus. This one is from Micah 5.2, this, this little excerpt here in verse 6. Micah 5.2, which was written in the early 700s B.C. So over 700 years before Jesus was on the earth, this was written, and, and, and it was known that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem because of this, because of this pro- prophecy. Now, interestingly enough, or a little side note, King Herod at the time, the, this, this King Herod, the bad guy, King Herod, he was a, he was a, a mixed breed ethnicity-wise. He was, he was not of the Davidic line. He was appointed as king uh, of, of Israel, at, of Judah at the time by his father. He was an illegitimate king. And he was called, his title was called, he was called king of the Jews at the time of Jesus' birth. So naturally, he's pretty alarmed that, these, that this proclamation from these magi, these wise men, they show up out of nowhere. And I, I don't think we get how big of, of a procession that would have been. These guys were wealthy. They were, they were well off. You don't travel that far uh, that, and during that time by yourself. You tra- if, you're, if you're wealthy and well off, you travel with a big cohort of people. So, th- I mean, it would have been, it would have made some noise as these guys come into Jerusalem. You wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have not noticed if you were in the city. And they come barreling in there and they say, where is this guy, this baby that's been born king of the Jews? They show up and say this and, Car- and, and Herod's like, wait a minute. That's I'm the king of the Jews. Who is this, this guy? So what do they do? They go straight to the scriptures. I love that. They go straight to the scriptures to find the answer. And the, and the people that know the scriptures at the time, the chief scribes, are like, yeah, supposed to be born in Bethlehem. That's where he is. So right off the bat, from the very beginning, the, literally the first verse of the Gospels, Jesus is declared to be the king. And then people not from Jerusalem, the people that should have seen him coming, didn't. But people that should not have seen him coming, did and they come and declare him king of the Jews. So that leads me to a question. You guys know that's how I like to figure things out and explain things. What makes a king a king? If Jesus is a king and he was declared to be a king, then what what makes a king a king? What do we mean when we say that? I know we I know we understand, but let's let's set some parameters for today. So here's the here's a definition, one of the definitions, one that is supreme or preeminent in a particular group, category, or sphere. So if you're the king of something, then you know what you're doing. A king is supreme in whatever the king is king of. No one's higher than the king. If you're the the king of XYZ, then you're the head man of XYZ. You're in charge. You have all the preeminence in whatever you have kingship over. Here's a couple of verses in Proverbs talking about what we hope for in a king. 
Two verses from Proverbs 20, 28. Loyalty and truth preserve the king, and he upholds his throne by righteousness. Or 29, 4. The king gives stability to the land by justice. Justice, righteousness. These were things upholding the land. These are things that were expected of a king, are still expected of a king. These kings were expected, if you read in Deuteronomy, they were expected to observe the Lord's covenant and his laws. They were expected to defend the nation, to engage in offensive war when it was necessary, to rule the people with justice or misfat, misfat in the Hebrew, and righteousness, tedeskah. The king is to study the Torah daily. He is to know the law so that he can administer justice righteously. He is to study the Torah daily. He's uh, supervised by the Levitical priests so that they can observe Yahweh's commandments properly and so he can understand his role as the king. Here's the thing. Israel wanted a king. If you've read the Old Testament, you know that. They wanted a king. In Deuteronomy, it says, when I give you this land, eventually you're going to want a king. You're going to want a king just like the rest of the world wants a king. So they desire a king. Uh, and mankind, I think, overall, desires a righteous king. I, th I think that's just something that's in us. I think Israel proves that by, by wanting a king. I think we still kind of fall into that. We still want a king-like leader in our lives. You know, in this country, we could have had a king from the very get-go. I mean, when George Washington was, was elected the first president, that dude could have stayed the president as long as he wanted to be the president, and he would have eventually become a king-like figure. Thankfully, he was wise enough to just step down after two terms. I mean, literally just gave away the power that he had. It was amazing. Set our country on a, on a, on a great course for a long time. But unfortunately, we've elevated the presidency to king-like status. And I think we've done that because that's what we desire. I think we desire a, a righteous and benevolent king to lead us. Now, it doesn't ever happen that way, but we want that. We want a just and righteous leader in our lives. Now, here's something that was different for the kings of Israel uh, as opposed to, to Jesus when we get into this today. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 16. It says, appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone, so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. Remember, Deuteronomy is the retelling of the law. It's right when the, when the Israelites, after wandering for 40 years, are finally about to actually get their land. And so it's, it's, it's Moses' last words to them, like, here's the way to do it. Please don't mess it up. So right off the bat, and, and the way God set up Israel, there's separations of power. There's separations of power when man was king. Because God knew that needed to happen. The king didn't lead the sacrifices for the people of Israel. He didn't lead the sacrifices for God's people. And the king was not in charge of the judicial system. The high priest was. So there was a separation there. Okay. So now, with that in mind, let's take a look at our second scriptures for today. And we begin to see how we have an extraordinary hope. An extraordinary hope in King Jesus as we look into these next verses. So this is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled for refuge 
we have fled for refuge might have we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for our lives, safe and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're not going to spend a ton of time on a lot of the meaning here uh, because we could spend weeks on these verses and talking about Melchizedek and things like that. But to, to get to our point for today, it says at the beginning on verse, verse 18 there, so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. The author of Hebrews has just explained that God made a promise to Abraham and then after some time later took an oath to Abraham. He said he would do it and then he announced that he was ready to do it with an oath. That's the, that's the two unchangeable things here. So a double statement by God about the promise to Abraham and the promise was to bless all nations uh, of the world through his seed. Which is why it's important for Jesus to be from his line. But remember the beginning of Matthew. He's the son of Abraham. So there's two things. He's, he's, he's given a promise and took an oath. He said he was going to do it. And then he said he was ready to do it. So the author of Hebrews is telling us here. Because of that. Okay. Because of that. And, and God can't lie. He can't lie. So we had this double promise from God. Then we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. Because God has promised to do this. Twice, and he can't lie, we can seize and grab hold. This strong double statement, we can seize this hope. We can take hold of this hope. We can be encouraged and strengthened because God always delivers. And then verse 19, this is why we call our youth group, I'll be started calling it anchor, is because of this verse. We have this hope as an anchor for our lives, safe and secure. What is this hope? The hope of God's promise to bless us. With a savior for all mankind. All nations. God tells Abraham in Genesis. A benevolent Messiah king. That would establish God's kingdom forever. This hope. A true hope to be anchored to. A true hope to have your life anchored to. Now how does the author explain this. In the, as we move forward in this verse. It's pretty cool how he says this here. He says it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner. Because he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It being the hope. That's what the it is. The hope enters the inner sanctuary for us. What is the hope? Who is the hope? Jesus, it says right there. Jesus is the hope. This is where the inner sanctuary is where all sins were forgiven in the Jewish temple during the Old Testament. Once a year, the high priest went inside the Holy of Holies, to the inner sanctuary to offer a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement for all the sins of Israel. Now, they came different, at different festivals at different times, sometimes just on their own, depending on what was going on in their life, to offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. But there was a day once a year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where the sins that were missed by the people that they didn't sacrifice for, the, the high priest would go into the inner sanctuary once a year and, and offer a sacrifice for all the sins of Israel. And this was, a, this was a foretaste of what was to come. And the high priest had to do this every year for the people. So here God explains to the author of Hebrews that Jesus has entered the inner sanctuary with his sacrifice on the cross as the once and forever offering for sins. He's a high priest forever. 
The anchor imagery here that we just saw in the, in the previous part of verse 19, it's still in play, which is pretty, it's pretty cool how the, how the author does this. It's, it's this anchor imagery. So Jesus is a forerunner. Okay, What that means, to be a forerunner, was like sailors. Jesus is like a sailor who leaves the ship, gets on like the lifeboat, the smaller craft, and in order to carry the anchor forward and place it where it can firmly be lodged for the ship to be anchored to. That's what a forerunner was. So, so to the Lord Jesus, by his interest into the heavenly sanctuary, where he functions as high priest forever, he has given to... He has given Christians a hope to anchor to from which it can't be shaken. That, that's, what we're trying, that's what he's trying to say here. Jesus has offered a sacrifice for sin once and for all because he is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek, strange figure. If you've ever looked into him at all, it's not an easy thing to study out, but we do know that he, he's an Old Testament figure. He was, he's considered to be a, a prototype of Christ. He's a prototype of of Christ. He's a, he's a Christophany. He's an, he's an appearance of what Christ would be like before Christ was even here. And if you go on to the next verse, it says this, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham and blessed him. Okay. Now we're not going into all the two what's and where from's on today, but the point here for today is the human kings of Israel were just that. They were kings. The human kings of Israel were kings. But Jesus, the God-man, the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Messiah, is both. He is king and high priest. He fulfills both roles. Now, why does that matter? Because this is where our true hope comes from. We, we hope for, for mercy in a king. We, we, we hope for justice in our king. We hope for, to be defended by our king. We hope for provision by our king. And we should we should do that. We should hope for those things. But here's the reason we have ultimate hope to be anchored to. To be anchored to because this king this king, King Jesus is able to make a way for salvation. He's the this is our ultimate hope. Forgiveness of sin. And what does that mean? What does it mean, forgiveness of sin? No sin, no death. That's why it's our ultimate hope. No sin, no death. The only reason that death exists is because it's the wages of sin. God didn't want death in the beginning. God wanted us with him forever. Sin separated us from that. So sin has to be paid for so death can be conquered. Well, the good news is sin has been paid for. In a way that you and I could never do it. Ever, ever, ever do it. No matter how hard we tried. So let's let the word of God say it. The word of God can say it better than I could ever say it. If you go to 1 Peter, which will be on the screen for you. 1 Peter, verse 3. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have a living hope, something that we can truly, truly anchor our lives to, a living hope. Jesus the King and Jesus the High Priest is alive, this verse and many verses tell us. 
He's resurrected from death, and he promises the same for you if you've placed your faith in him. He promises the same for his followers. And not only that, he has given us an inheritance, an inheritance that is unaffected by time, unaffected by space, unaffected by matter. It is eternal. It's an eternal inheritance. It can't be taken away. It can't be damaged, and it can't spoil over time. It's imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, and an eternal inheritance in the kingdom of God with the king of kings, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of David, King Jesus. What an amazing God. What an amazing story. But it's not a story like we read in a book. It's a retelling of an event. It's a documentation of what, I mean, think about how Matthew starts his gospel with a genealogy. That's not a fable. That's not a story sometime long, long ago. He starts it with fact that people in his day could have went and checked the records of these facts. This is amazing what God has done. But he is telling us he is the king. He's the king of hope. And he is the king of hope because he is the king of resurrection. That's why we have hope. He's the king of, king, king of hope because he is the king of resurrection. He is the king of hope because he is the king of resurrection. I literally put my notes. Repeat it until someone amens. He is the king of hope because he's the king of resurrection. That's the hope. That's the hope. That, that's where we, that's, we get off track so easy in this life. Worried about things that don't matter. Hoping for things and about things that don't matter in the grand scheme of things. He, he's the king of hope. He's the king of hope not because he can give you nice cars or a fancy house. That's not the hope. That's not the blessing. That's not the blessing he promised. Sure, you may, but whoop de doo whoop de doo He's not the king of hope because, because he, can, he can take away your spouse's cancer. He can, but that's not why he's the king of hope. He's able to do that, and sometimes he does. When it's in his plan, when it's, when, it, when, it work, when it's all for his glory, we can't possibly understand why he does or does not do what he's going to do. We don't know that. He's not the king of hope because you, you need a raise. He's not the king of hope because you, your bills don't, don't match the funds that are coming in. Here's an idea. Don't spend as much. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that. But, I mean, it's serious. Like, just don't spend as much. Anyway, he's not the king of hope because of all those things. We... we misconstrue what hope is hope is not for things that we can see the scripture says our hope is for things that we can't see the things yet unknown that's what faith is our hope is not in anything worldly that we can get sure worldly blessings are great most of the time sometimes they cause extreme trouble sometimes they mess things up and there's, there's nothing wrong with hoping for, for worldly blessings. There's nothing wrong with praying for a better job or praying for a raise or praying for something worldly to happen. And I don't mean worldly like sinful. I mean just in this life. Sure, pray for your kids. Pray for their education. Pray for their spouse. Pray for all that stuff. Hope for the good and all those things. But that's not the ultimate thing that we hope for. That's not why Jesus is the king of hope. He is the king of hope because he is the king of resurrection. And because he is the king of resurrection... That means he is the king over sin. He is the king over death. He is the king of kings. He's the king 
of all things. He is the king that can give us the one thing that can actually fix what our problems actually are. We have one ultimate problem. Sin. And Jesus fixed that. And that's why he's the king of hope. And how does he, what does he ask you to do? He asks you to place your faith in him. That's the cost. That's the cost. To sacrifice for Jesus. To give up temporary, vapor-like things in this world and turn to him. Whatever it is, trust him. Hope in him. You, you, you could sit around for a thousand years and try to figure out a better way to do it. And you won't even come close. God's way was the best. Free will. Freely to choose. There is no love without free will. God gave us the, the, the ability to choose. And because we choose ourselves over and over and over, which is what sin is, he had to fix it. And he did. Right there on a cross. Shed his blood to forgive you of your sin and to give you the gift of eternal life. God says it doesn't get any better than that. I don't, care, I don't care what God blesses you with in this life. It is nothing. Dirty, filthy rags compared to our inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading. Jesus is the king of hope because he is the king of re resurrection. When you find yourself drifting from hope, when you find yourself drifting into despair, when you find yourself drifting into the things that this life can pull you down into, it's because you've lost focus on what is actually our hope. Yes, hope for deliverance from addiction. Absolutely. Pray for it with all you got. Because Lord knows it is difficult to deal with the things in this world that sin causes. Pray, pray, for, pray for blessings. Go after the, the good things that this world offers. Absolutely. But do not, do not, do not lose focus on what our actual, true, living hope is. No matter what we face in this life, good, bad, and everything in between, we have a God who promises to forgive our sins, who has forgiven our sins, and who promises to give us an imperishable inheritance in a place called heaven, and gives you, and you, and me, and everyone who follows him the opportunity to bring that kingdom of heaven to this world right now until we wait for the second coming. And that's the real hope. Bring it on. I've had people tell me recently that, that they think the, the second coming is close. Great. I hope it is. I wish it was yesterday, to be perfectly honest. But until then, we have a hope. And when you have hope, you have something worth living for. We can do it. We can persevere. We can make it through this life. We can do what's right, even though it's going to cost us in this life. Because what it's going to cost us is nothing compared to the eternal blessings that are to come for living your life for Jesus. He's the king of hope. He's the preeminent one of hope. He has all hope. That's our true hope. We'll finish with this verse. Romans 15. Now may the God of hope fill you, you, me, and us, with all joy and peace as you believe in him, trust in him, have your faith in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.
Amen. That's my prayer for us this morning. I'll pray for us and we'll finish in song. Father, I come to you today, Lord. And I just thank you for this living hope. Lord, I know that we, we speak, well, weekly of the cross, of the empty tomb, of your resurrection. God, and we have to. We have to speak of it so often because we are prone to wonder. We're prone to wonder from our first love. We're prone to wonder from what matters. Lord, we're prone to allow the, the worries and the cares of this world to, to take away our hope, to, to distract us, to, to bring us into despair, to depress us, God. Lord, I pray this morning that we would be revived in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean that you get pretty nice things in this world. It means you get the best of everything forever with you. And that in this world we are to do everything we can to show that glory. To show your glory to the world, Lord. To, sh- to, to love each other and to love others outside of the church so that they desire to know you and to have this hope, God. Lord, strengthen us. Strengthen us to, to keep the hope of resurrection as the central part of, what, of, of our lives. God, I thank you this morning that you, that you have forgiven our sins. I thank you that you are the king of hope, but that you're also the high priest who was able to bring us to you, Lord. I pray that this this message sinks deep into our hearts this morning, God. I pray that there's anyone here that's never given their life over to you, that today would be the day they would declare, I am a sinner and I need Jesus to save me from my sins, Lord. Let them come down this morning and let us celebrate that together. Lord, as we finish up in song, whatever that needs to be done, Lord, would would you put it on our hearts for it to be done? reconciliation in relationships, prayer to you, song to you, whatever the case may be, God. May this time be a time as we are invited.